0: Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person. And I appreciate you. And I know exactly what you like, all at the same time. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, the zen seeker, the artist, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. A gifting moment is always around the corner. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Gift easy with gift mode on Etsy.
1: Welcome to Ion Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs reporting for ConnectingVets.com. And surprisingly, today our guest is not a military veteran. Yet he's literally changed the lives of active duty warfighters and veterans alike around the world. And he's done it with something more powerful than any weapon today we'll get to know brazilian jiu-jitsu master philosopher and inspiration hickson gracie now before we jump into the interview and begin talking about his book breathe a life in flow i think it's important that um i share with you this excerpt that i got from a book review from legendary brazilian jiu-jitsu and mma master hickson gracie comes a riveting memoir that weaves together the story of Gracie's stunning fighting career. Undefeated from the late 1970s through his final fight in the Tokyo Dome in 2000, Hickson Gracie has amassed hundreds of victories in the street, on the mat, at the beach, and in the ring. And he's joined icons like Bruce Lee as one of the most famous martial artists of the 20th century. Jiu-Jitsu, the fighting style developed and pioneered by his family, has become one of the world's most prominent martial arts. And Vale Tudo, the anything goes style of Brazilian street fighting, was the early precursor to the ultimate fighting championship. Simply put, without the Gracie family tree, from his great-grandfathers to his father and his uncle, who interestingly enough, raised up to 60 children and trained them to be the greatest fighters in the world. Without that, there would be no sport of MMA no $4 billion UFC empire, and no Brazilian jiu-jitsu across the world. Hicks and Gracie, my honor to talk to you, sir. My
2: pleasure, Phil.
1: First, thank you for writing the book. It should be noted that the reason it crossed my path in the veteran space is because um, famed Navy SEAL Jocko Willink, one of your students actually, um, wrote the foreword to the book. And when he talks about being a blue belt and getting his ass whooped, by you, uh, you weren't even close to the same age when you sparred and you still whipped him a new one. Um, how long have you known Jocko Willing?
2: Oh, since the 90s, you know, where he was the first time at my place. And uh, he's a water tough guy and very brave, very much uh, focused on his mission and accomplishments. So he his being always a good asset to the team, you know. So it's just compliments for him
1: what I liked about the forward of the book is after beating him many times during a sparring match at your gym, he'd said that your advice to him, your critique of his fighting abilities was you're comfortable in bad situations. And I just thought that is the best way to open the book because it, it, It speaks to how jujitsu is so much more than sport, how the way your family has crafted this has become a true art form, and that being uncomfortable in bad situations is something for the warfighter to definitely know, but it's something I think for all of us to be able to harness a power there, because in life, you will find yourself in some bad situations. Let's open the interview by explaining to me why jujitsu is
2: more than just a fighting art or a sport. Yes, because jiu-jitsu is, is a soft art which gives you the elements of interacting with an opponent. Because we are based on, on techniques which are not really require too much strength, muscle explosiveness and muscle strength, we can basically adapt ourselves to the positions we engage on and through leverage, through connections, through base, through uh angles the body, we can wait, we can minimize the, the, the explosiveness and the strength of your opponents until either they fatigue or either they they make a mistake giving us a joint lock or a choke hold, which favors the defeat. So Jiu-Jitsu is very much an art form which has no rules or some kind of demands for you to do this or that you pretty much accept any kind of style any kind of positioning with gi without gi with punches without punches and and it's pretty much complex and based on this kind of diverse capabilities we comfortable in any different situations in the fight that's why i feel like our philosophy is to be comfortable in hell.
1: Well, let's start with the obvious that, you know, we get into with every author, and that is, why did you decide to write a memoir, and why did you write it now?
2: I felt like my, my life has such a, a powerful elements into my career and my personal life, which I like to share some stories which can maybe relate with people and somehow help them to find a solution or find a better position. Indeed, and when you talk about
1: helping people find a better position, be it in sport or in life, I'm curious, who do you envision this book really being for? Is this for an active participant in jiu Is this for somebody that is interested in martial arts? Is this for somebody that's interested in UFC? Or does this have a broader context to a bigger
2: population? For me, my, my, my life story is about a lot of, a lot of extreme things. And, and based on, on that difficulties and obstacles and, and situations in life, I have to bring my protocols, my physicality to the maximum, also my emotional control and my strategies and my mindsets to the maximum, and also my spiritual guidance and, and, and beliefs to the maximum, because I was preparing myself to fight no rules, no time limits, no weight division, different than any sport. It's just like a confrontation. Just two guys go in, one comes out. So with that unpredictable aspect, you have to prepare yourself for a battle, which is not only unpredictable, but you cannot just be physical. You cannot be just emotion. You cannot just be spiritual. You have to combine the three elements to find yourself sometimes require more spirituality and surrendering and capacity to, to, to handle, to have the hope and the faith. Sometimes the mental aspect with control emotions, the panic, the fear, and also the physicality. So this combination, techniques and so on. So that kind of mixed combining activities make me feel, prepare myself for the unpredictable, which is very related with life. Because if you think, about happiness, which we all should look looking for happiness. Happiness is something that doesn't sit on your lap. It's not a lucky thing. Happiness is something you work for based on what you want for your life. So if you want to buy a car and you're able to buy a car, you're happy because you did that. Or to build a family or to raise your kids or get a job or make a new deal. So all those Possibilities make you happy. But all the things you you have to achieve, sometimes you face obstacles, sometimes are, are, are emotional problems, sometimes you face tragedy. So the idea for you to conquer happiness is pretty much martial arts. Because in order for you to be happy and keep fighting for happiness... You have to be strategically correct. You have to be positive. You have to be technical. You have to know and, and be focused on what things you like to achieve. So all those, those capabilities for you to achieve happiness are basically the same elements for you to be a good fighter. We all have to handle fear, insecure state of mind, and, and, and pressure. We have to really be courageous to jump, to, to wake, to stand up again and fight again the next day. So the elements within martial arts, they help you outside of the mat to make you feel like in a better guidance to be happy, to achieve, to change your life for better. We all have to to battle obstacles, challenges, sacrifices. So in different ways, even to build up a family is a battle. Once you're in the the battle mode, which I feel like we all should be all the time, so you have to be always aware of what next. And coming up next, we have
1: more with the philosophy of life from Brazilian jiu-jitsu master Hickson Gracie when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. Now we're talking with Brazilian jiu-jitsu master, founding father, and a philosopher who's inspired service members and veterans around the world. In this segment, Hickson Gracie elaborated on the specific elements of jiu-jitsu that are helping change people's lives. And one of the first profound moments he shared with me during our interview is
2: also the title of his book, Breathe. The aspect of learning how to breathe a lot of people in martial arts, they train in martial arts, but they don't focus on the breathing aspect. And I feel like breathing gives me an edge of at least 40% more than what I've always been. Learning how to breathe gives me a good sense of power because it seems like funny, but the brain and the heart are the only organs in the body who are capable to give and receive information. You know, the liver don't do that, the kidneys don't do that, but the heart, if you feel something, goes right into your heart, and your heart tells you you depressed. So you feel bad from your heartfelt sense something. You also can feel bad if you read a bad email and get depressed based on a bad news or something. So your brain immediately recognizes bad news. And send you the depressive mode, the, anti- the anxiety, the suicidal thought. Whatever it is, they're negative. But the brain recognizes fear, recognizes problems. And he immediately tells you, you're not happy anymore. You stress. So the lung is the only organ who can directly affect your, your through your breathing. The, the mind and the heart. So I can physically interfere in my heart through my breathing system. If you don't know how to breathe, you're born, you get slapped on the butt, you start to "Ah, cry, you start to cry. So you're alive and well, you can breathe, you're done. So you're not going to die anymore. So that's the perspective for you to, to know and feel you can breathe. But I tell you, if you don't learn technically, efficiently how to breathe, you lack of 40% of raw effectiveness in your process of fighting or engaging or controlling emotions, reactions, mindset. The breathing system, when it's work, gives you 40% of real beneficial aspects which you're never going to touch if you don't do the exercises. So the breathing is so important for you For be- become a better athlete to know how to control your emotions better, to know how to get a mental peace, to know how to bring your heart rates to minimum heartbeats, to be relaxed, to be able to sleep, to be able to make longer sessions with love. Whatever you do, even modern tennis players now, they exhale as they use to, to, to make a better diaphragmatic motion. So for every sport, for every activity, you have a perfect breathing rhythm through the diaphragmatic breathing, a full lung capacity. So I'm, I have an empty lung now. If I just use the top part, but if I use the full lung, is at least two times more air volume and the right one than the wrong one. But if you don't know how to use the, the bottom part of your diaphragm, you're never going to access the deep layers of your lungs and know how to have a deep breathing, and make you calm under pressure, make you organize your brain, but also mental and spiritual.
1: Now, as we discuss deeper parts of Hicks and Gracie's life, one thing that is abundantly clear in his book, Breathe, A Life in Flow is how he was raised to be the greatest fighter in the world. In fact, the book discusses how for generations, his family taught what the world would come to know as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. The Gracie family would become the art form's origin, the founding family. From a connection to a great Japanese Judo master in the early 1900s, to his father and uncle, who together with several women raised over 60 children, it was clear that
2: Jiu-Jitsu was a way of life for all in the Gracie clan. I mean, when you're born a Gracie, first you get ghee and then you get di- diapers afterwards. So you become part of a, a tradition. You become part of a legacy which you not even recognize, But you know, people engage as a fighting engagement is, is natural for all of us. Nothing strange. And, and follow the protocols of the training practices. So it becomes natural for us to be a Gracie. And we eat differently from the beginning. We have a special diet, we have special ways to deal life. And that's for us was just a, a part of the being a Gracie. We we being like raising as a kind of soldiers, you know. My father said, because we have many brothers and sisters, and so it's a big family. And if the fight if the fight starts for a piece of cake or a shoes. People are gonna fight forever, and we all fighters, so fight could not happen in between us. So he he us to respect and, and and apologize if we're wrong. So the code in the house is whoever is wrong has to apologize. I don't care if you if you do wrong against a smaller guy and you have to apologize for the smaller guy, but the 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 the, the right one has to be always recognized as the right one in the in the dispute. If I have to resolve the dispute before you guys arranging who is who is guilty and who is not, if I have to interfere to judge, I will punish the wrong one in a very hard way. So don't don't let me even get into the, the argument. You guys have to resolve yourselves. We don't argue much, we just like respect who is right and who is wrong because you don't want to be wrong in front of my dad, you know.
1: Now more than just a father who raised his boys with a strict sense of discipline, Hickson explained how his father became the father of a new jiu-jitsu. But ironically, he was born weak, not an athlete. Yet after watching his older brother, he transformed the martial art into something that is equal parts mind and body.
2: And my uncle Carlos opened the first jiu-jitsu school at Rio de Janeiro in 1925. And then my father, at this time with 13 years old, he still could not do exercise or anything. So he was sitting on the corner of the school, watching my Uncle Carlos teach all day, different classes, and memorizing all the lines, all the techniques, all watching. He was, he was passionate about watching my Uncle Carlos teach. And then three years passed, and he was 16 years old, and a student show up, and my Uncle Carlos not arrived yet. My father said to the student, said, Mister, if you want to keep starting today with me, let's keep training a little bit until my brother arrives. And guys say, yes, let's do. So they start to sparring and practice, whatever. When his brother arrived, the student said to, 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 to Carlos, Mr. Gracie, I like to keep training with your, your brother, young brother because he's so talented. I love to spar with him. So that way, my father gently started to get engaged on the practice of jiu-jitsu. But for him, was was two different things because the practice he saw my, my uncle Carlos do, for example, a, a, a collar choke, which is grabbing the collar and choke somebody. He learns using the, arm, the power of the arms. But my father, at this point, he could not do one push-up or one pull-up he could not do one of either. feels like a, a seven-year-old kid trying to choke you like this. You're gonna laugh. So what he did is bring closer to the chest and use the lever of the chest, which makes 100 times more stronger, with less muscle effort. So this is a very simple example how much Elio Gracie brought a new version of Jiu-jitsu. Over the Maeda Carlos Gracie Jiu Jitsu. So we normally in the family say Elio Gracie is to Jiu Jitsu as Einstein is to physics. Because he's a creator, he's just a genius. And he starts to add leverage and angles, which are supposed to be impossible for him to execute something. He starts using different angles to make it happen and start to develop a kind of invisible Jiu Jitsu based on the kind of power which is invisible, it's not about muscle. it's about angles of the arms and shoulders and hips. And so it makes a difference when you start to feel this kind of invisible power. So with this, my father becomes, for Jiu-Jitsu, the the new jiu-jitsu, the real grace jiu-jitsu, the one who transforms the, the the Japanese jiu-jitsu in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I, I born and raised in that matter and when I was six years old, my father opened the Federation, the new Federation of Jiu-Jitsu, and uh, was the first tournament of the Jiu Jitsu Federation and the first bracket is seven years old and I was six, but my dad asked me if I want to go. And I said, yes. So I was going to compete in a seven, seven year old bracket, which one year different makes a huge difference in that age. So, and then he said to me something I just figured out afterwards. He said, if you win the fight, I will give you a gift. If you lose the fight I will give you two gifts. So this was somehow a statement from him saying if you lose I'm not going to be upset because I don't want to get two gifts and lose the fight. But that's the, the in the between lines he say if you lose I'm not going to get upset with you I'm going to support you no matter what. So that's every father supposed to do with their kids. Sometimes a bad father like not because he's bad but because he has bad approach sometimes the, the kid go play soccer and a, ta- a talent kid plays soccer and he misses score the goal and the pad, and the and the parent charge him said why you miss the goal oh, you are so close to make you make a mistake you should you should score and then the kid will think wow my dad not approve what i did my dad is disappointed with me my dad is he, i don't want to play soccer anymore because sometimes this kind of expectation, when it's too much, gives the kid the responsibility to, pro, to, 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 to do what the dad expects. And that sometimes is too much overwhelming to the kid. So in, in my case, my dad knows I will do jiu-jitsu for life. And the first thing he wants to know, to make sure, is he's on my side against the world. He's not expecting me to win or disappointed with me because I lose or something. So having this very primal support was crucial for me because I lost the first event. I didn't even remember if I received two gifts, but I lost and I was there in the next event and I win the next event and I keep winning. I win straight up to 14 years old. But, uh, and then just one lost, and then I win straight up today. <laughs>
1: And again, another lesson there in parenthood off the mat. I mean, we're talking how to channel success and reinforce positivity and support in sports. And it's just so essential. Um, I think of how the SEAL teams and how the military actually changed the way they instruct uh, sniper school from focusing on what the guys are doing wrong to helping them visualize how yes. to do it right. And by yes. focusing on visualizing the positive outcome, it is more likely to happen than striking and, you know, preaching the fear of the negative outcome yeah. or of yeah. the loss. almost,
2: almost visualizing the negative, because if you start to repeating the, the wrong, the wrongness, you improve, you create, you increasing the element of notice the wrong. So exactly the, the opposite we have to, to visualize in the right way. Visualization is a huge tool for the warrior, you know? No matter if it's buying a car and you are visualizing the strategy, or if you go, you know, invading a fortress. Strategy has always been a critical component of jiu-jitsu.
1: And from a very young age, Hicks and Gracie employed an aggressive strategy of training and lessons that he would learn on and off the mat to
2: become the greatest fighter in the world. I was about 13 years old. And, uh, and I was already going to the school, to the, the, the academy, on a regular basis, day and night, whatever. And I always practice with the growing ups afterwards, when the classes end. It's always a practice. And I was a kid, you know. I love to practice, but I was still a kid. And in the, in the entanglement, I, I trained with a blue belt, which is a strong guy, adult, but not good technician, but just a tough guy. And eventually, he got me in a headlock which technically speaking, headlocks are not enough to make you tap. They control you, they agonize you, but not make you tap because you keep your your neck protected. So you you feel trapped, but not able to give up. I knew that, but I was tired. The guy was big and just the, the suffocate, just the claustrophobic feeling to get entangled gave me the panic and I felt like the feeling of not breathing properly. I get panicking. I, and I tap. I give up. I get very upset because I'm very I'm very competitive. And even though the guy was a man, the situation was not for real. I get very upset. I even cry on the mat. And the kid and the guy said, "You okay, kid?" I said, "I'm okay, thank you." But oh, I'm pissed. So I was pissed off. So I go home. I back home with that in my mind. How I could quit. Just I could breathe better. I could have a better. So I, when I get home in a Rio de Janeiro, 110 degrees, humid, summertime. I put myself laid down on the on the on the edge of a carpet, stretching myself like like a, a straight. And I tell my brother Holt to roll me up like a burrito. So he rolled me up in the carpet, and I was completely tied up. In a very agonizing position with a very smelling bed carpet and very hot day. And then I start to panic a little bit, try to be claustrophobic and be calm. And I start thinking about the ocean breeze, the seagulls flying and the, and the ocean touching my face and the, the, the natural breeze. And I start to breathe and relax and start to getting cal- calm in the middle of the turmoil. And after 10 minutes, my brother unfolds me. And in the same year, I did four more times the same process, just to make sure I was cool of that. So after I, after I did this few more times, I was feeling my mind already to get tight, to get claustrophobic, and still able to breathe by straw. You know, still able to be breathe in a very small pace and keep calm and keep alive and surviving in in a peaceful mode without getting claustrophobic and give up
1: just amazing. And what I love, I know it's by no accident that there are several examples in the book breathe where breathing is the lesson by which you're teaching some way, somehow somebody changed the way they breathe some way, somehow you bring in breath control throughout this entire book. And it's just amazing to see how many parts of our life it's applicable in Um, breathing, certainly part of your preparation for what is arguably, I think, what some consider the greatest fight of all time, uh, your match in Japan. Um, First, quick answer. Why was it so much more highly regarded to win and fight in Japan?
2: Because in Japan, in Japan, they value not only the the actual fighting moves, but they value the character of the the, the fighter. They value the attitude because they they relate samurais as a uh, uh, God soldiers, they 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 relate the samurai as the perfect human being in terms of the code of honor they have, the, the what they they live for, their clean the their, their cleanest uh, way the, the way they, they they clean they sharp the way they use they, they, they so the sword so all these components around the samurai. Makes them admire not only the fighting aspect, but the courage, the the personality, the strength, the the attitude in in general. So sometimes you see an altar, you don't see a god, you see just a samurai helmet and two katana's, two swords, because they respect the fighter, the the, the samurai attitude, the bushido, the code of life they have. They they put in highly respect. So. all the the members of the community, they see the samurai as a higher level entity. You know, the samurai has an entity, and then the merchants, and then the, the farmers. But the samurai is almost like a king, you know, is respected by the community. So when they see a fighter, they pretty much relate them with a samurai because they see the power of the guy. But the problem is the regular fighters they don't have that kind of bushido soul imp- implemented they don't have the attitude the personality and they don't use the 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 attributes of a fighter correctly sometimes they they chew mean sometimes they are not having the balance required and sometimes they talk too much bullshit sometimes they so they they don't relate with the Japanese as they should because they feel like, oh, this guy's a good fighter. But for me, he's just a bully. Or he's just... So, the, 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 when the, I fought the first time in Japan, was an eight-man tournament. And uh, and after I fight all, all, all fighters, the last fighter I have to fight was a Japanese guy who is a very small guy, smaller than me. He's already had to fight two previous previous fights very violently and the guy who fought with one poke his eye almost blind him the other one punch him in the face a lot so he was all damaged and I went to make the finals with this guy and my crew saying you have to beat this guy punch him in the face kill him whatever and I said no I'm not going to do anything like that I'm going to just beat the guy technically because he don't deserve to get beat I'm bigger than him you know, I know I can beat the guy technically. So why I you going to have to be mean just to, just to show a character which is sport and, and, and compassion? I don't I have to beat the guy, punch him in the face, break his face. I have just to win the fight. So with this being said, after the, I win the fight, even the Japanese press notice the characters has Hickson win with, 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 uh, an impressive compassion, because he didn't, was violent, too violent. So the, the, the Japanese notice, when you go in a stage in the Japan, 50,000 people in the, in the arena, you, you can see a bottom fall on the floor, because it's all quiet, and the fight starts, everybody quiet, and when they see a move, they all say, oh because they all follow the, the secret. They all see the fight in a much more respect, with much more understanding of the strategy of the fight. They don't just go for the blows and for the sensational and beer and yelling and like here, you know. It's, it's more like respectful and honorable. That's why I felt like Japanese embraced me, not only as a fighter, but as a new samurai arriving to give them a chance to for them to reinvent themselves and be a good inspiration for the modern samurai.
1: Do you think that the American audience has grown and matured with the evolution of UFC and of, you know, MMA in this country? Or are we still looking at these matches, at these fights, uh, with the immature eyes of an audience that expects hero versus villain uh, somebody's going to pick up a chair at some point and hit somebody. Someone's going to, you know, come out with some stupid prop. They have dumb nicknames. I mean, are are we evolving with our uh, fanship of the fight culture or are we still kind of immature compared to Japan?
2: Absolutely not. I feel like the, the evolution is zero. They are seeking for entertainment. They seeking for violent blows and for dynamic actions is more physicality and brutality and, 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 and Spins and moves, violent moves, which are very sensational and entertaining. And bear with that. So that's pretty much what goes, you know, in the, in the mentality of the, the American audience. Like Brazilians, like all the other cultures, accept Japan. Because Japan, they, they, give, they give to the fighter a different code. It's like every fighter is supposed to defend their families and be honorable and fight for what they believe like a samurai. You know, very cool. I love your insight on that.
1: In just under an hour, I heard why so many veterans are drawn to this sport and why the military's most elite strive to master this fighting form. The community Jiu Jitsu creates is something essential for the warrior, and in life, we are all warriors of some kind or another. In this segment, We talk about loss and the journey that begins with the death of a loved one. Coming out of this COVID year, where it has been so challenging for so many people, so many people have been lost with loss, and you write about that in this book, um, The Death of Your Son. What did you learn about yourself, or what takeaway can we learn from pain in this book Breathe?
2: The loss of my son was the biggest loss in my life, was very much... Something you know, as deep as as can be in terms of, of being negative and, and feeling like losing my ability to, to cope with the universe. So when I lost my son was like feeling with no feet on the ground, completely off, lost the appetite, lost the desire to train in Jiu Jitsu, lost, lost the desire to teach Jiu Jitsu, lost the desire to serve to enjoy friends and parties and, and gatherings. And so I was completely off of my game. And uh, I was, by purpose, get the ability to really not allow myself to, to, to neglect, to, to deny that feeling. Because a lot of people, sometimes they try to hide or they try to, no, I'm okay. Thank you, but I'm okay. Trying to show strength, to show some kind of fake, natural, not natural, natural ability to deal with a loss, which take you from. I mean, you you lost both legs. You cannot be the same. You lost your vision. You cannot be the so a, a, a dramatic loss is no. I'm okay. I'm I'm doing well. You have to really embrace it. So that's what I did. I I I, I hug a, the biggest rock I could hug and dive myself on the deepest lake I could dive and fall on the bottom of the lake and sitting with a rock on my lap, and allowed myself to feel, to get all the excuses like suicidal thoughts, drugs. Uh, I, I get unhappy, cry like a baby and whatever I have to do to, 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 to cope with my loss without thinking I'm okay. I was just depressed I don't want to show I'm happy. I don't want to smile for, smile for nobody. So it was a, a tragic, dark time in my, my, my life, which I very honest to embrace and be like, let myself go with, not exactly trying to deny. So after a long time, a long period, about two or two years and a half of allowed myself to, to leave that kind of negative down, downhill pattern I was sitting on my backyard with the tree, with trees around me, big pine trees. And I decided to, to climb a tree, which is one of the biggest ones in my house. So I climbed to the top of the tree and I saw a huge, a beautiful view of the ocean, a very nice view. And I decided to, 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 to find that place, a platform to talk with my son. So for three weeks almost, from the first light of the sun to dark, I was focused and designing the platform, buying the wood, making the hose, buying the harness, the rock the, the, the climbing harness for a upside down, duking things. So I did crazy things to, to create that platform. And finally, after almost three weeks, focus only on that, all my day, all my focus are on that, I finished. And when I finished, I felt relieved. I felt like I did something to honor his, my son's departure. I felt like through my hard label, I feel like, okay, now you can go free. So he was, I was allowing myself to dedicate such an effort and find myself somehow peaceful after that. But as the thing proceeds, I was still not quite feel happy again. I still not quite feel uh, recharged again. I was respecting my... I still under a negative wing. So I was meditating and, 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 and having fun on the platform one day. And I remember what my dad said to me once. He said, it's nothing completely positive or good. You have always a negative side and the good things. And it's nothing completely bad or negative. It's always a good side on everything. So based on what he said to me, I start thinking, what could be possible, good, for me to learn from Hoxha's departure? So I start to think about it. And the only thing I came up with was, uh, up to that point, I was in charge of my life in a very unique way. I was able to control time. If my son coming to me and said, Dad, I'd like to talk to you, and I was about to surf, I said, okay, we're talking when I come back from surfing. Now I have to surf or something else. So I was in charge of the time in a very tranquil way. But that's not true. And I learned tomorrow may never happen. So based on that, a certainty of tomorrow may never happen, I make an adjustment of how I live my day to day. So for me, this conversation we have today is very powerful, very important. is the most important thing for me at this point. I don't like to let go anything. To I don't like to let go you guys here to do anything else. I'm gonna finish with you guys with all my ability to to to, to describe my feelings and giving the best of me. And after that, I may go do something else. But the point was. I start to see my son let me know I could be more tight on my, on my time to the point where after that kind of new me, if I was going to the airport to, to, to fight in Japan or to do a seminar in Japan, and my daughter called me crying, Dad, I have to talk to you. I will stop in the freeway. I will talk with my daughter as long as it takes until I be my best to resolve the matter, to try to help. And when it's finished, only when it's finished, I will turn her off the phone. And then I will see if I still able to go to Japan, if the flight is lost, if I have to rearrange my everything will be postponed until I, des- I-, I put the time is deserved to my present moment. So, by learning this, by obeying that kind of protocol, new protocol, I felt like my life becomes much more tired without losing ends, without wasting time, making mistakes for, for no thinking. So, I become much more thankful. I become much more present in, 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 in my life in terms of my advices, in terms of my classes, in terms of my nutrition, in terms of my wasting time, who give me happiness to feel like I learned all this with Hawkson's departure. So somehow now I'm thankful for Hawkson's departure because the rest of my life will be much better in terms of how I use my time for my other kids, for my family, for my, for my friends, fans, and so on.
1: And from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for that because, um, this very week I will, um, celebrate, uh, the memory of my brother who made his departure a year ago this week. And when I read this part of the book, um, it spoke to me, man. And I think that in this world, this is a huge gift you've given because it really does help us all. At some point in time, everyone will deal with a loss, be it a loss of love, be it a loss of a relative, be it a loss of something. There'll be something to mourn, but there'll be something to learn and something to gain. And in that last answer and in that chapter in the book, uh, you really highlight that in such a beautiful way. And it's something that I think is so, um, gosh, it's, it's practically tangible for everyone that reads it to be able to feel it in their heart. That's so awesome. I yes. thank you so much. Uh, again, I could talk to you for hours, Sixton. I just absolutely love it. I don't even do jujitsu. And I swear to God, I want to now because, uh, you know, like just the the mental chess game of this sport. And the physical prowess it can create in your life and in your body is just something to be commended. What is the final takeaway that you would like anyone to take away from this book?
2: Yes. I like, I like the experience of the book becomes because my life was very extreme. I put myself to the edge in every direction I could find myself in. So this book is a, my life experience who has, highs and lows and, 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 and give people a chance to, 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 to check my courage, my surrendering, my capacity to forgive, whatever. So all the attributes I have are in the book. But I feel like what is the mojo that, that, that makes me very excited about this book is creating a, 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 new, a new position to keep serving people with jiu-jitsu, but in a different way. Because 20 years ago, for me, the only way to win a fight was fighting and fighting for victory. Right now, my my deal with life is win without a fight. Because learning by my physicality, which fades away, learning by the things I lost, you cannot be aggressive and try to fight with violence, everything coming to your way. You have to be able to accept, forgive, have compassion, have love, having strategies, having courage, to sometimes even forgive somebody because violence today is not in demand. Violence is out of demand. If I have a big student who's a tough guy and can kick ass on the street, I'm going to tell him, hey, man, be careful. Don't beat nobody on the street. Be gentle, be kind, forgive. Because if you beat somebody on the street, you can end up in jail. So the jiu-jitsu I, I try to, to create now is a jiu-jitsu to give you more sense of your possibilities, especially your invisible possibilities, through breathing, to hope, through visualization, to believe in your techniques, to believe in situations you can, based on position or angles, you can suppress the power or the aggressiveness of your opponent. So a peaceful way to become a spiritual fighter through a, 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 a gentle format of jiu-jitsu. This is what I expect, not only by reading the book, but for a gentle practice for anyone who's tried to, to become a better person.
1: And believe we'll it right there. The book is Breathe, A Life in Flow. We're talking with Brazilian jiu-jitsu legend and master, Mr. Hickson Gracie. And if your father was the Albert Einstein of Jiu-Jitsu, you, sir, just might be the savior of martial arts. <laughs> I appreciate it, brother.
2: Phil, thank you very much. Craig, thank you. And uh, you guys, you know, doing the right stuff, trying to keep serving the community, the, the veterans, the guys who are just, you know, warriors, and keep doing a good battle in home and stuff because... The fight never ends, you know, and we have to win without a fight sometimes.
1: All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so follow us on Twitter, at IonVeterans, or you can reach me, at PhilBriggsVet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please, like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show, because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans.
3: If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's true, then you're in luck. Because, once again, Mr. Ballin Podcast: Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Each week on the Mr. Ballen podcast, you'll hear new stories about inexplicable encounters, shocking disappearances, true crime cases, and everything in between. Like our recent episode titled White Dust. After a middle-aged couple failed to answer their daughter's messages and calls, the daughter drives the few hours to her parents' house to check on them,